welcome to episode 135 of the Two Guys, a Glove, and a Coke Bottle podcast. He's Thomas Todd. He's Danny Zarchi. And we are Giants fans, and we are doing another special crossover episode between this show and our national sports show, Coach's Decision, which we will be talking about after the show. We're going to talk some Giants. We're going to do probably half hour, 30, 40 minutes about the Giants, and then we're going to talk Warriors. We're going to talk, I don't know, maybe a little Sharks if we have things to, to say. Does that sound good, Thomas? That sounds great. I watched that entire Sharks game. So yeah, it was. Let's just say the Warriors game was a little bit more fun. So uh, it's June first. Uh, we're basically almost exactly a third of the season, a third of the way through the season. The Giants are on pace for ninety-nine wins. You know what June first means, though. You know what it's time for. The swoon. It's time to complain about the All Star game. <laughs> What's so, the complaint? Too many uh, Royals again. Well, so that's that's something we've talked about, especially came up last year. The Royals dominated the polls. I think Omar Infante came within, you know, a hair's breadth of being the starting second baseman over Jose Altuve. Who's an year, actual Infante, the size of an actual Infante. Yes. <laughs> uh, this year, it's slightly less terrible. Hosmer's winning, but he probably deserves to be. He's having a great season. Um, the only other Royal in the starting, I mean, Salvador Perez is the leader among all American league players, but probably definitely deserves to be the best catcher. He's having a good year. Um, and the only other thing is Mike is a, Mike Trout is ahead of Lorenzo Cain, but Lorenzo Cain is second. So there are five Royals in second place. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah. I mean, Kendris Morales over Edwin Encarnacion over Victor Martinez over Nelson Cruz. That's. That's that's stupid, but uh, but David Ortiz is going to win that anyway. He he has a five he's a half a million vote lead. So let's talk about the National League. Uh, Buster Posey. Well, first of all, the bottom line: no giant is leading their respective position. Buster Posey is in second place at catcher. Brandon Belt is at second place at first baseman. Joe Panic is fourth among second basemen. Duffy is fifth among uh, third basemen. Crawford is fourth among shortstops. Um, but we're also kind of seeing the opposite. You know, if, if last year was the year of the Royals, this is the year of the Cubs. I mean, Anthony Rizzo, Ben Zobers, Chris Bryant, Addison Russell uh, have a clean sweep of the infield. Well, you know what? This They're all also really us, good. Right? This all tells us that baseball is a hugely regional sport. And that when a team starts winning, people start watching. When people start watching, they spend a lot of time on all-star ballots, uh, pumping in 35 ballots for their favorite players. So how do you... Giants, it happened with the Royals, and now it's happening with the Cubs. So how do you approach the all-star game? I mean, I know that that we've talked about this before, and you're not... Well, I like to lead lead off. (laughs) But you're not of the mind that the all-star game should reward just the first half of that season. Right? Absolutely not. No, it should be based on reputation, um, you know, current standing among MLB's superstars. Like, a superstar having a bad first month and a half or two and a half months should not be kept out of the All-Star game by that. You know, Buster Posey hasn't exactly had a great season. He's had a good season. But, you know, you can't bump other upstart catchers over him. He's Buster freaking Posey. You know, Miguel Cabrera should be first place at first base every year until his limbs fall off. But, but how how do you decide when that era is over? You know, Yadier Molina is leading the catchers, uh, the National League catchers. He is having a bit of a resurgent season, but he's not the he's not the superstar he used to be. Not even not even close. So, at what point do you say this guy still has the name value, but? He's not, but this is not what the game is for anymore. Or is it just as long? If they were ever at that point, then they stay at that point until they die. No, you don't stay at that point until you die. Obviously, Derek Jeter had a few all-star game appearances that even I wouldn't have approved of. But, you know, post-peak Jeter, I think, still should have gotten one or two, you know, trips to the all-star game based on his name. But eventually, after two years of down production or three years of down production, it's okay to bump somebody else in there or reward somebody a good player having a great season or a great player having an epic season it's okay to reward those guys but two and a half months tells us nothing 
I mean, an argument could be made, and I'm not necessarily making it, but Eric Hosmer is a, having a better season than Miguel Cabrera. He was on the World Championship team. You know, he he scored the tying run in the game, whatever that was, with the stupid play that he got lucky on because Lucas Duda made a bad throw. Uh, but he is, a, he is a big star. He's very popular. Why should he not be the guy? I mean, Miguel Cabrera is getting up there in the years, and he is not the guy he used to be. Who do you want to watch play? Is it Hosmer? No. Okay. But I... <laughs> I don't like the Royals, so. <laughs> <laughs> you like the Royals more or less than the Tigers? Uh, yeah. Both AL Central uh, competitors of the Giants in, in World Series recently. I do like the Tigers better than the Royals. Why is that? On your fantasy team? No, not at all. Uh, I think that Royals fans are extremely annoying. And I didn't like the fact that Jordana Ventura started, you know, throwing guys' heads and everyone defended him and that whole thing. Plus... The way that the uh, Royals World Series victory played out, you know, a lot of it was kind of this post hoc analysis of, well, Hosmer scored, so it must have been a good idea to, you know, go for it in a situation where he would have been thrown out by 10 feet under most circumstances, stuff like that. So just kind of, you know, not to mention the, the should Alex Gordon have run home thing that went on for the whole summer or the whole off season and kind of, I don't know, seems like it sought to minimize what the Giants did. So I'm just still a little bitter about all those things. But also, Royals, you mostly just sound annoyed. Yeah, I don't like Royals fans. Okay, that's that's it. Any I, one in particular you want to call out on the air? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it, it's the the amalgamation. The the in the aggregate, I think they're more annoying than Tigers fans because Tigers fans were put in their place. Wow. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Well, now seems like a good time to throw it out to SeatGeek. SeatGeek, thank you for sponsoring this podcast. uh, SeatGeek is my favorite app for buying concert and sports tickets. I don't like concerts, but I love sports, so that makes up for it. Thomas, what have you bought recently? Man, I am taking a very special lady to a very special birthday show to see a band called Modern Baseball. I'm going to be checking out later in the summer Frank Turner and uh, Flogging Molly. So concerts are where I'm at right now, but I am thinking of sneaking into the Cup Finals or the Western Conference, or sorry, the NBA Finals with the Warriors and Cavs, which we'll talk about later in the show. And uh, our friend Rob from San Diego actually hit me up today and said, hey, uh, I've been listening to those SeatGeek promos. Can I buy uh, tickets that aren't to the Giants? And I said, of course, man. Uh, oh, yeah. SFG any 20, MLB. $20 off any game. It doesn't need to be the Giants, although it should be. It doesn't need to be Bay Area, but why not? If you're in San Diego for some reason, if you're, I don't know, what, what's somewhere else? Levon in Milwaukee could go to a Brewers game, and he could get $20 off. SFG 20 yeah, it's probably really cheap, too. My favorite part of SeatGeek, though, is what Rob probably appreciates about it, because he's a very straight shooter, uh, our friend Rob, is the price you see on the, the site is the price you pay at checkout. There's no hidden fees. They're very upfront about what the price costs. They'll even give you a breakdown and analysis of whether it's a good value or not based on the color of the dot and the size of the dot. So those are the two key features of SeatGeek that I like. And I also like that we get to use our own promo code, SFG20 to show some love for the show and the podcast and the network that Danny and I have so intricately put together. So thank you to SeatGeek. But enough about the All-Star game. I mean, it's Posey's probably going to make it because, you know, even even when the voters don't do it, the, the, the managers who choose, you know, the backups like to give a nod to the veteran guys and guys they want to reward. So I'm not too worried. But let's talk well, don't about... don't act like he doesn't deserve it. I mean, he hasn't. He hasn't been. Well, I don't know. Has he been the best catcher in the National League so far? If you, if you throw in defense and pitch framing, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I I certainly agree. I just mean, I'm not sure that he's going to win the voting. That's fine. Neither did George W. Bush. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about the Giants. Uh, the Giants finally lost a series today. Uh, against, of all teams, the Braves. Um, they have what? not lost the series. Oh, is it a four-game series? They play tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Oh, that's silly. Okay, In well. less than 12 hours, there will be Giants baseball. The Giants are have not won a series for the first time since 
Uh, let's see. How far back do I have to go here? The Blue Jays series. Since the, the you're right, the Blue May, Jays series, ninth or eleventh, I believe. Yeah. So the Giants have had an amazing run of success recently. Since we last uh, talked on Wednesday, uh, last Wednesday night, the Giants. Uh, Took two out of three in Colorado, which they normally play very poorly in Colorado. And uh, game one looked like it was going to be one of those Colorado series. Uh, and then they are, they're one and two against the Braves. But right now we're sitting at 33 and 22. And as I mentioned, we're on pace to win about 99 games. It, that's just incredible. And we're doing it with a 22-run differential that's at plus 22, which also puts us at the Pythagorean win-loss of 30 and 24. So... But, you know, Mr. Pythagoras thinks that we are three games luckier than we should be. What do you think about that? I think that's good. You know, you look at the Cubs' run differential being well up over 100, and you say, like I said last week on the show, good for you. See you in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, I think the bigger thing to talk about right now is Suarez looked pretty good today. No? Uh, I didn't watch the game because I was at work, but he his numbers looked pretty good. Yeah, no, he was fine. He was all over the strike zone in a good way. Uh, he got a lot of contact outs, got out of a couple jams, gave up a couple of runs. But, you know, uh, that start would be the fourth or fifth best Matt Cain start of the season. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not going to trust it because he's had – I mean, he's – He's been, he's 26, so he's not that old, but he, he has not been a prospect. Um, and he, you know, didn't put up all that great numbers in the minors. I mean, he had ERAs consistently in the threes. He made some starts. He also was a reliever. So, I mean, the big news is Matt Cain is on the DL, and it might be, you know, a fair amount of time. Do you think Suarez sticks in this role? Do you think they call up Clayton Blackburn? Do you think Chris Heston is the guy? I mean, are they gonna are they gonna go find Guillermo Moda? Huh. I think Suarez is Heston right now. I mean, Heston came out and looked nothing like he did in the first half of last season, and more like he did in the second half of last season. It's starting to look like that's the guy that he is. So, I mean, Suarez is the next chance at a Usmero Petit, at a Chris Heston, a guy who can bridge the gap, but even maybe become a hero, become someone in Giants lore as they search for a fourth capable starter. Because as good as Jake Peavy looked in his last start, how many times can he repeat that performance this season? And how, how many, many times, times does he, he play the Braves? Awful performances. Yeah, I mean, there's that too. The Braves have a pretty terrible lineup. Uh, I know Freddie Freeman's good. He, he hit the walk-off home run today uh, in the 11th inning. So um, I can't trust Peavy, Kane, or Suarez, but... I'm happy to watch any of them succeed in any one particular game because the top of the rotation is so good. Yeah, I mean, and uh, Chris Heston so far this year, since he got sent down to the minors, has a 4.36 ERA uh, in uh, seven starts. Not bad for the PCL. It's not bad for the PCL. And he had, I mean, in Fresno in 2014, before he got called up, uh, he had a 3.38 ERA. So he is... Like you said, not the guy he was last year. Uh, and obviously Bruce Bochy and Brian Sabian and Bobby Evans think that he's not the guy at this point. Suarez, like we said, in the minors did start a fair amount of time. He he has potential for innings. I think in today's game he went into it with something like a 80 pitch count, uh, pitch limit, something like 90. that. 90. 90. Um, you know, that may increase if he makes more starts. Meanwhile, Clayton Blackburn has a 4.14 ERA in uh, Sacramento. Again, the PCL, but still nowhere near the 2.85 he had last year in Sacramento. Um, so maybe this is the guy. I mean, like, PV's had a few good starts uh, in a row, but two or a few good starts over his last couple, but two of them were against the Braves and the Padres, and you just kind of have to throw those out. So well, don't what, throw Johnny Cueto's out. He'll be upset. <laughs> but it leaves you with, you know, not very many uh, games against major league lineups where he's fared well. Well, they are major league lineups. They're just not particularly good major league lineups. I'm glad the Orioles aren't in town every week. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't think it's every year that you see a team that's tanking as hard as the Braves or, you know, the Padres don't know that they're tanking, but they are. 
<laughs> and I, I believe the owner of the of the Padres said that I uh, referred to the Padres as utter disappointments today. So not mad. That's fun. We should bring we should bring Padres correspondent Levon on to talk about it. Oh no, he's having a good old time. Don't worry about him. But when you look around, I mean, the main thing is that the Giants are rolling, and the and the Dodgers are having a really bad season. I mean, they're bad, they're twenty eight and twenty six, which is not that bad. But again, that's uh, that's dramatically in, uh, improved by Clayton, by Clayton Kershaw having you know one of the best pitching seasons of all time. He probably will continue to, but. They're just a sub-500 team without him, and they just lost Alex Wood, who was kind of having a career renaissance. So, I mean, Jose Urena, who, or Urena, uh, who's... I thought you know, it was U- U- Urias? Oh, uh, Ur- right. It's, no, it's, it's Urias, or Urias. Yeah, I know there's no, like, U sound at the beginning. Uh, it's, I think it's Urias. Um, it was one He's of the 19. High- yeah, he's one of the hottest pros, uh, pitching prospects in baseball. He's 19, so you know, take that for a grain of salt. There have been really good starters come up when they're 19. I mean, King Felix Hernandez, things like that. But quite good. Uh, yeah. So, but it's rare. And even if he ends up being the you know stud pitcher that we a lot of people think he's going to be, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do it this year. But they're just hurting. I mean, you're you're going to see a lot of a lot more uh, Ross Stripling. I mean. I don't know what what else do you expect from the Dodgers. This is what I expected all season. You know, coming in, if they were healthy, I think they would have been, you know, a couple games worse than the Giants throughout the year. But as soon as those injuries started piling up, it looked like they were a 500 or barely sub 500 team, and that's not going to hack it in the NLS this year because the Giants are well kind of loaded. Yeah. Oh, fun fact: the Cubs, who are having this ridiculous season, by the way. They're 35 and 15, are underperforming their Pythagorean win-loss by three games. So Pythagoras wow. thinks that they should be 38 and 12. Pythagoras doesn't do a whole lot of thinking these days, Danny. No, no, he, he's been gone, but, uh, you know, you know what I mean. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Dodgers are just, I mean, we saw it really early in the season that their bullpen was garbage. Their bullpen was a, was a tire fire, aside from Kenley Jansen. And there are a lot of situations where the starters would actually do pretty well, but as long as you can just grind it out and get to the bullpen, J.P. Howell, Chris Hatcher, somebody like that is going to blow it. But now, I mean, they may not even get that chance. Scott Kazmer has, you know, has had his flashes of looking better, but he's also looked terrible. I mean, Kenta Maeda is not the not the world beater that he appeared to be right away. He's still a very good pitcher, but but not well, you know going to be Danny. a sub two ERA. Here's the problem: the Giants just lost their second best hitter for an unknown amount of time. Right. And I may be overreacting because it just happened, but Hunter Pence likely headed to the DL with a hamstring strain. His leg exploded running out a grounder in the fourth inning of today's game against the Braves. MRI tomorrow, but honestly, after Brandon Belt. Hunter Pence has been the only other above-average hitter on the team. And Buster Posey. Yeah, I'd say he's above average, but Pence and Belt were their own tier this year, like as well above average. Hitting OPS is over 800. No one else on the team had an OPS over 800 besides those two guys. So, Yeah. Um, no, well, actually, not to well actually hear you, but Buster Posey had, a, had an OPS at exactly 800. Oh, I think it dipped to 798 today. <laughs> No, I, I swear I think it did because he took it over. Oh, okay. Well, th- there you go. Um, <laughs> no, so yeah, Hunter Pence. seven seventy eight. So. Okay. So Andrew Baggerly's most recent piece says, uh, you know, like you said, he has an early morning MRI tomorrow. Um, Bochi has already acknowledged he's going on the DL. Pence is optimistic, but, you know, he's he was born optimistic. I mean, he and I are, are alike in that sense. The only way you two are alike. <laughs> Though actually, you know what? Similarly, I think you would propose to your girlfriend at Disneyland. Disney World, thank you very much. You would never make the trip to Disney World. Well, that's where they did it, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Proposal um, Disney. So, no, it's going to be bad. And, I mean, the question is, do you think Gregor Blanco 
starts uh, it starts every day? Do you think they? Um, I mean, Jared Parker's already in the majors. Do you think that they're going to start Parker Williamson? Instead, and leave Blanco as the fourth outfielder. What do you think? I mean, Angel no. Pagan is meanwhile still on the DL. No, they would never go thump thump on the corners. That's just not Bochy's style. Um, I There's think just no keeps, defense. I think he just keeps uh, Parker in right and Blanco in left, um, or flip flops that depending on where Parker is most comfortable, uh, because he's the younger player. Blanco obviously so versatile. And, you know, you can still have Mac Williamson come up and be an, a little bit of extra thump off the bench. But I think Bochy just values Blanco so much as a professional hitter to give him the kinds of at-bats that someone like Hunter Pence could do, obviously without the power, but to go up there and be able to move over runners and, and hit fly balls when you need to sack fly. That's what guys like Pence and Blanco can do because they've been in the league for so long. They have those skills that Parker and Williamson are still developing. Yeah, I mean, uh, also another thing that we might see, which we saw a little bit of, is Kelby Tomlinson playing left, which I don't I'm, hate. I'm terrified of that. Why? Left because field is, you know, the easiest position uh, in the outfield. He's very fast. Uh, what You know, what are you scared of? I feel like I have to have this Ron Washington conversation with you all the time. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard. Uh, you know, he just he's taken some bad routes so far, and I think he's good with the glove, and we've seen he has a good arm. I just I'm worried about him getting to the ball and having that first read off the bat because the only way you get that is from repetition, you know. Yeah. Knowing the spin of the ball, knowing the trajectory of the ball the minute it cracks off the bat and that's so tough to just pick up, you know. We saw Brandon Belt be okay at it in his younger days but not never really stick out there and and you know, Kelby doesn't quite have the frame that Brandon Belt does. So this is the smallest of all sample sizes, but Kelby Tomlinson so far has played 19 innings in the outfield, all in left field. And he has a positive UZR, which is his uh, uh, range factor. Danny, he's the <laughs> fastest player on the Giants, essentially. Like, I'm not worried about his range. I'm worried about him taking a bad route to the ball or misplaying something or not knowing when to hit the cutoff, man. Yeah, I just mean he's he's been fine so far. In 19 it, innings in left field, you can have the ball not hit to you. Yeah, and also those were all considered, this is all what Fangraphs considers routine plays. He's 100%. So he hasn't had anything, uh, even a likely or an even play. So, uh, but. Where's Juan Perez? <laughs> but Kelby Tomlinson is a really good hitter. You know, he's he's very quietly batting 324 with a 395 OBP. He doesn't have any power whatsoever, but he can steal bases. I mean, he can get on base. He can steal bases. You know, he can knock runs in. He's he's kind of a perfect Giants hitter in that sense. And, uh, I mean, I think he just might fit the offense. I mean, he just might fit the team uh, batting in that style better than Jarrett Parker or better than Mac Williamson, who you really – only trust to connect with one and knock it over the fence every, you know, 18 at-bats. I think they're not ready to give up the power that Hunter Pence brought, and you can replace a little bit of the power with Jarrett Parker. You're not going to get almost any from Kelby Tomlinson. So we don't talk about lineup construction all that much here, I mean, at batting order specifically, but would you really want to put a rookie power guy, uh, like, in the fifth hole? Like no, that, you can still you know? bat a guy with power lower down in the lineup. I'm just saying to have the power, you know, uh, of replacing Hunter Pence because you can always slide Crawford up uh, a spot because he's obviously a better hitter than Parker or Tomlinson at this point in his career. Um, I have a trivia question here for you, though. Okay. Who leads the San Francisco Giants in stolen bases? Uh, let's see. Is it. Don't cheat. I'm not cheating. Um. The number is seven. Uh, my initial inclination is Denard Span, but I don't think he's gotten one recently. Span has six. Okay. Including five caught stealing, so he's six for 11. This person is seven for nine. Oh, is it Duffy? Matt Duffy. Yeah, who got picked off today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a speedster too, so... He's actually just a really smart base runner because he doesn't have the natural speed that someone like Blanco or Span or Kelby Tomlinson has. He's just very heady. 
Yeah, I mean, Buster Posey stole a base the other day. He's second of the year. And, I mean, you saw Barry Bonds in his, you know, mid-40s stealing bases, and he didn't have any speed left whatsoever, but he just knew when to go. And um, they're all the opposite of Brandon Belt, 0 for 4. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Belt has just not had a good not had a good year stealing bases. But I, I just want to finalize what I'm saying is that if you're talking about moving around the lineup anyway because Pence is gone, you know, like you said, it's probably going to be Span, Panic, Duffy, uh, Posey, Belt, right? That's mm-hmm. that's locked in. And so that's one through five. You know, then you might move Crawford to six. Uh, if you want to keep doing what they were doing before, put right fielder <laughs> at seven. Uh, pitcher, pitcher, Blanco. and then. Well, I mean, do you think Blanco? No, uh, I think they would hit Blanco eighth. But what if they do? I mean, what if they did right fielder at seven, then pitcher, and then put Kelby at nine? I, I really like that. So you mean put you want Blanco and Kelby out there? Well, either Blanco or, you know, Parker. So then you have, you know, a bit of a power threat right after Crawford, you know, when you might have guys on base. And then you still get the double, you know, the double leadoff guy, guys who are really good on base, who could, you know, steal a base, who can, who can you know, set the table as it were. You've completely bought into this pitcher hitting eighth thing, haven't you? I I've seen it work and I've seen it not work. So if you if you really believe that players have roles and that you don't want to have two of whatever batting after another or something like that, then it makes sense, you know? If you I mean, I want Kelby Tomlinson or whoever is batting ninth to get more at bats than the pitcher, but I don't want it that badly and I don't think there's going to be that much of a difference. You know, over the grand scheme of things, especially because it's probably going to be pinch hitter uh, a third of the time. And the Giants uh, pitchers aren't that bad at hitting. Right. But I think I think that there's I think that there's a certain skill set that is wasted when they bat eighth. And that is fast guys. Right. If you come up, if you're if you're Kelby Tomlinson and you come up with with two out. And nobody on base, and you're batting eighth. They're just going to walk him. He's going to steal second, and then Jake Peavy's going to ground out to second baseman. That's going to happen 98% of the time. Whereas if you do it the other way around, Peavy is going to make that out to end the inning, and now you have Kelby, Span, and Panic, which I like. The difference is if you put somebody like, I don't know, if you have a power guy. Uh, well, I was going to say if you have a power guy at eight, then they might hit it out. They're still going to get walked. So it doesn't really necessarily solve that problem. It's just, I, I don't know. I don't think that it has, I don't think it has that bad of a problem. Is that, okay. I don't so, know. How, so, how do you feel about it? 33 game or not 33, you know, 50 games into the season. I mean, I think it's mostly been abandoned. It was something that Bochies was doing when the whole roster was healthy. But as soon as one domino fell, you know, kind of get away from it because it started to make less sense, at least from the way they were justifying it as having two leadoff hitters. Um, I think it was a, a, a not an ode. Uh, I think it was them placating Angel Pagan to say, hey, you're not our eighth hitter. You're our second leadoff hitter. I think <laughs> they were just giving him something because they'd taken away his position. Okay, so I want to read to you, uh, out of 54 games, the pitcher has batted ninth. I'm going to have to do some very quick math here. Which you're horrible at. 31 times. Okay. See, that wasn't so bad. <laughs> Whereas a position player has started the game batting ninth, uh, looks like 23 times. Does that make sense? 31 plus 23. Yeah, 54. There we go. A lot of those are at the beginning of the year, though. Um. Yes, the last time a well, the last time a batter not named Angel Pagan batted ninth was uh, uh, let's see how long do you have? Not long. Blanco did it on April fifteenth, tax day. So, so you're right. I mean, it's either Pagan batting ninth or the pitcher. 
So, I mean, I think Bochi completely abandons it with Pagan not in the lineup. Yeah, which might, you know, Pagan's a better player than Kelby Tomlinson, even with, you know, their difference in age. So, anyway, let's, uh, what do you want to talk about most? The pitching? Do you want to look forward to what's what's coming? Let's take a look at the schedule. Okay. So, the Giants have one more game in Atlanta tomorrow morning. Um, Then they go to St. Louis for three games. They come home for two games against Boston, who's red hot. And then they start three games against L.A. at home, three games against Milwaukee at home. That Dodgers series is probably, I mean, every Dodgers series is important, but if the if the Giants come into that series, let's say, up four games in the division, that's a big deal. Yeah, especially if they can leave seven. Yeah, <laughs> or five. Or, yeah, just pick up a game, absolutely. What, what are the pitching matchups going to look like then? I'm trying to... Do the math <laughs> okay. mentally, projecting forward. So if today was the five, the fifth pitcher, the good old five hole. Uh, there are four games between now and then. So uh, no, I'm sorry. There's six games. Be- um, this is fun. There are <laughs> there are six games. So let's see. One, so two, Mad Bum would pitch next Wednesday in Boston. So you'd get Cueto, Samarja, Cueto, Samarja, PV. Yeah. Okay. Against. You know, Kintamayeda okay. and, and pray for rain. Casimir. Uh, well, I mean, is their rotation still lined up perfectly? I'm not sure. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it'll most likely be Casimir. So the, the Dodgers beat Arietta. Yeah, I mean, kind of. <laughs> I I just don't think they're very good. I mean, maybe that's just me looking through rose-colored glasses because I think the Giants are a really good team, but. If it's not a if it's not a Kershaw game, the Giants have like an eighty percent chance of winning. <laughs> that's, that's really your opinion. It is my opinion. <laughs> I'm looking forward to playing the Cardinals. We haven't seen them yet this year. Yeah. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most about that series? Seeing what devil magic they've been able to drub up about their outfield. There's always a guy that I've never heard of who comes <laughs> in, he hits a home run, he makes a fantastic play in the outfield, he's got a Polish last name, he's super white. <laughs> <laughs> it happens every single year, and I get really excited when I find it. Was it Randall Grychuk? Uh, I think it's uh, Grychuk. Grychuk, and then there's... Um, Steven uh, Piscotti. Piscotti, that's the guy. They're uh, either Italian or Polish or Don't some forget kind of- Jeremy Hazelbaker. Yeah, they all have immigrant parents from the early 1900s or, or great-grandparents <laughs> from the early 1900s. So I just get really excited by what they have to offer. Yeah. And I don't really pay too much attention unless the Giants are playing a team. So I kinda, I'm kind of i going to get to see them for the first time this year. Don't forget about the big bearded white dudes who throw 100 miles an hour. Oh, those two. And the guys who can either relieve or start. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> okay, so uh, just to flash back to that, it looks like the, the Dodgers are – uh, identical in their rotation, Mike Bolsinger pitched today, so it will most likely be R two against R two through four against their two through four. All right, Danny. Before we move on to uh, other Bay Area sports, I have another trivia question for you. Yeah, shoot. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? I have. Wait, is that the right answer? It is. You are correct. Most sites make it complicated and try to sneak in fees, huge fees, at checkout. That's why you and I. Will implore everyone to try SeatGeek. They made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. Danny, what is your favorite part of SeatGeek? My favorite part of SeatGeek is that I can see if I'm paying a good amount of money. If it's a good deal, if it's a bad deal. I mean, you know me, I'm super cheap. I like to get things for free. I like to take things for free from from you most of all. But uh, SeatGeek tells me, you know, big green dot. The, the greener, the better. This seat might be expensive. It might be, you know, a little more than you want to pay, but. You're getting a great deal. Uh, it's it's worth it. You know, whereas you might see something that looks pretty good, but there's a big red dot, and it tells you you could do better. You know, Thomas, you and I often uh, we often look at people and tell them they could do better. Wow, we do do that. <laughs> if you're at a ball game with Danny and you buy, you know, one of those chicken finger baskets with fries, make sure you just purchase a second side of fries <laughs> and then just give them to him so you can eat your chicken in damn peace. 
And and you can yes. afford that by using our promo code SFG20. You get $20 off your SeatGeek purchase. You'll love it. We'll love it. I'll eat your chicken fingers. It'll all work out for everybody. Wait, how much is a chicken finger fries basket? I don't think it's under 20 bucks. I think I'm going to go with $20 even. <laughs> it's probably right on the nose. <laughs> did you see those Atlanta Falcons concessions prices? Did you see that story? I did not. I'm wondering what the SeatGeek prices are going to be on the Falcons tickets in their new stadium because they're selling hot dogs for like $3, sodas for $2. Wow. Like peanuts for $3. They're selling things that um, – you know, not Walmart prices, but, you know, prices that people can afford. So I'm interested to see about that. But, yeah, absolutely. Download the SeatGeek app. Put in our promo, SFG20, to get $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. There's so many things on there. I'm going to go to three concerts this summer, all the tickets I got from SeatGeek. I may even sneak into a Golden State Warriors finals game. Oh, if, my God. If allows. If you life have too allows. much money, Thomas. I do have too much. You're the lawyer. Yeah. Have you ever tried living in the Bay Area? Uh, no. I usually <laughs> want to go choice. to the Bay Area. Usually when I go to the Bay Area, I try to die. Yeah. That's okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the Warriors. So, uh, Western Conference champions. You know, no big deal. Uh, like, I, I'd like to. I'd like to go back to what we talked about on this show last week. Where? Oh, uh, here it uh, comes. Let's see. I'm going to do my Thomas voice. Danny, there's there's no way that the Warriors can come back three games. I mean, they ran into a buzzsaw. A buzzsaw. That was pretty good. Thank you. It sounded like a Muppet version of me. It was good. <laughs> so how about that buzzsaw? Hey, man. I The great thing about saying something like that is being horrifically wrong and horrifically happy at the same time. Yes. <laughs> you so know? let's tell the people what they won. Uh, the answer is the Western Conference Finals. The Warriors uh, in 2004, uh, 2012 Giants fashion lost, uh, went down 3-1 in the, cha- in the championship series, and they came back and they won three in a row. And it was fantastic. This does not happen in basketball. This does not. This is the 10th time this has happened in over 200 tries that a team has been down 3-1 to one and then won the series. It's only the third time it's ever happened in the Western Conference Finals or any conference finals on either side of the bracket. So unprecedented almost. So you're saying it's more uh, more, uh, more surprising, a much bigger deal than in baseball when it happened. Absolutely, because here's the thing in basketball. Home court, very important. Having the best player, very important. Often the best player does not go down three games to one in a series. Yeah, but little did they know, we do have Clay Thompson. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> you know, anyone who had any any remaining doubts about Clay Thompson, and you can say what you will about him two or three years ago when he was having trouble ball handling and the shots weren't quite there, and he was only a set shooter, he couldn't hit off screens, and he couldn't hit while moving or deeper than or as deep as Curry can. Well, he's proven you wrong because yeah. he's pulling up from three, four feet behind the line. He's the guy they're moving and bending the rotations around to feed the ball to. Um, it still appears to be Curry's game in the last five minutes, but quarters two and three in those last two games were all Clay Thompson. He kept the Warriors afloat and got them into the lead almost single-handedly. Yeah, I mean, what it really looked like was, uh, like you said, the fourth quarter was something different, but the Warriors would bring in their backups, and every now and then, uh, when, when neither Steph nor Clay were on the court, obviously bad things happened, but it really felt like taking Clay off the court had a much worse effect because he's also been so great defensively. Well, he's been great defensively, but it always seemed like Clay was the guy that they would run these plays to. That Clay would, you know, uh, this is when Curry was not on the was not on the court mostly, but also when he was, um, he would slip through defenders. You know, uh, Curry would run around, distract everybody, and then Clay would just get open. You know, loft the twenty four footer. And make it so, so often. And this is this was particularly true in Game 6. Uh, whereas it just didn't feel the same way when Curry, went off the, when Curry went off the court. When Clay went off the court, they just couldn't score. Well, here's the difference, I think. You don't need to run plays for Curry. It's almost silly to run play for, plays for Curry because really, just get him a screen. He'll do his, his weird put the defender on skates thing and he'll find a window to shoot. You know, you don't have to run a complicated set to get Steph Curry to get an open shot or whatever he considers 
an open shot. <laughs> so when you have the offense moving and flowing and it ending in Clay Thompson having an open shot, that's their best offense that isn't Curry playing by himself. So I, I think I see your point there. Yeah, I mean, they just they really missed they really missed Clay every time he went out, and it just I mean it seemed like it was to a greater effect than they did miss Steph. I mean, obviously, you saw this fourth quarter magic where Steph would come up and you know, he'd have one possession where he'd just kind of dribble up and see that there was somebody standing four feet away from him and decide why not shoot from twenty eight feet, uh, and then another possession where you know he'd. He'd take a couple of random threes, and they'd all go in. Uh, and I mean, the fourth quarters were amazing, but you just can't minimize what Clay did this this the whole series. He was just phenomenal. And here's the thing: my analysis. I think Billy Donovan coached his brains out in that playoffs, beating the Spurs, getting up three one on the Warriors. But he did have a gambit, and that was playing Westbrook and Durant forty six minutes, forty four minutes, forty five minutes. It really took a toll, and you could see in the last five minutes of Game Six and Game Seven, they just didn't have it. Yeah, when I mean, they tried to defer, when they tried to, when the Warriors would throw three or four guys at Durant, you'd hit Robertson at the top of the key, and he passed up the shot. He had a wide open three, and he kicked the ball to Deion Waiters, who was defended. Waiters eventually made an off balance bucket, but when your secondary players are taking bad shots and passing up good ones in critical situations, you can't win. Yeah, and that's you know something I'm gonna kind of crow about here is one of the things that I saw in games uh, one, three, four, uh, and five, or yeah, one, one, three, and four. There you go. Were uh, that a lot of the, what went really well for the Thunder was guys like Ibaka shooting, you know, forty five percent from three, and I just didn't believe that that would happen. And like you said. Uh, it, it did look like these guys were getting tired, and it looked like, you know, think back to game four or game three where it might have been game three where there, it really looked like in the fourth quarter Steph was bringing the ball up, and you could just see he was gassed. There, he had nothing left, and Westbrook was standing there kind of hopping because of he was so juiced with energy. He could, he could have run a marathon after that, and so Curry makes a lazy, tired pass. Westbrook jumps the route, you know, drives to the basket, does a crazy dunk. I mean, you could really see the difference in, in the energy levels. And it really seemed like that flipped because it was Westbrook and Durant who were making really bad choices uh, for, the, for the last three games, including they turned it over, what, six of the final eight possessions in game five? Yeah, that was pretty ugly. Like you said, the role players shut it down, and when that happened – the stars began to make mistakes trying to force plays. You know, neither of them shot a very good percentage, and the Warriors were a big reason for that. They said, okay, we're going to let you have the 15, 16-footers. We'll try to put you a little bit off balance, but when you try to go to the rim, we're going to throw bodies at you and force your other guys to make a play. And Dion Waiters, God bless his heart, likes to shoot. Not very good at it. Yeah, I mean, Waiters Island was a thing you heard from the national you know, analysts for a long time. But also it seemed like one of the things that I saw a lot in, especially game seven, but I'm sure it happened earlier on, was it felt like the Warriors recognized that Stephen Adams was having the best series of his life and uh, would uh, switch Curry and Clay onto Stephen Adams early in the possession and take him out of, uh, you know, rebounding range. And that was really effective because, you know, even though Adams is, what two tall, two inches taller than Durant? I mean, maybe yeah, more. Yeah, a little, little, little over seven foot. So yeah, maybe an inch or two. Yeah, so even though he was taller than Durant, it really felt like those guys, uh, Steph and Clay, had an easier time shooting over him than they did over Durant. And so it had the double effect of taking the you know the big body out of the lane, but also uh, they didn't have a problem you know shooting over him when they were standing twenty six feet away. Well, let's project a little bit forward because I watched more of the Eastern Conference playoffs than I usually do. And more than you I did, absolutely. <laughs> you watched none of it. Um, I watched so right bits now, and pieces, but I didn't watch any full games. Well, do you have any thoughts on Cleveland then? Uh, let's hear your thoughts, and then I'll weigh in. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here's the thing about Cleveland. They're a good three-point shooting team. They're not as good at it as the Warriors. They're a good team in the paint. 
They're not as good in the paint as the Warriors. Okay, now, so they, uh, do it this way. How are they different from last year's Cavaliers, aside from Kyrie Irving being there, obviously? And Kevin Love, who also wasn't in the finals last year. Right, the difference right. is that they are more flexible with the types of lineups that they can put in. Last year, they were forced to go with two bigs because they didn't have enough skilled wing players to be able to go four and out with LeBron and have a bunch of shooters on the floor. Now they can do that. Or they can bench Kevin Love, put in Tristan Thompson, and play the offensive rebounding game that was so successful for Oklahoma City, but they can do it with J.R. Smith, who's better than Deion Waiters and Andre Roberson, with Kyrie Irving, who's better than any of the, the guards that aren't Russell Westbrook on the Thunder. So they can do some of the things that OKC did just uh, with a little bit more skill and ability to capitalize on it. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of saw that, especially in the end of Game 7. I think the last five minutes or maybe even the last quarter, both teams just went to their, their death lineup. And... Um, the Warriors were just better. I mean, they just they were better in in every way uh, at that style of play. So you, you're saying that um, you're you think we're going to see a lot of small lineup against small lineup, but the Cavs will measure up better. I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation going on, as I think what I'm saying. I think the Cavs have a couple of different ways they can play. You've already seen Steve Kerr experimenting. Thankfully, oh my goodness, I was calling for this for so long, to get Harrison Barnes out of the starting lineup and get Andre Iguodala in there. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you started this segment by saying Clay Thompson is the hero. I'm almost willing to say that Andre Iguodala was better in those games on defense than Clay was on offense because he was a miracle worker against Westbrook and Durant. He's probably the, one of the only four, five, six guys in the league who can guard both of those guys at an above-average level. It was so ridiculous to see him uh, really box those guys up and lock them up on defense. So we'll, so we'll see the, how much time he spends on LeBron. Well, yeah, I mean, one of the things, one of the major um, strategy changes that Kerr did mid-series is he started Iguodala to try to slow down um, LeBron, and it worked. I mean, nobody can really stop LeBron, but it had a major, major effect. Do you think Kerr just starts the series that way? And if not, why not? I think he absolutely does. Harrison Barnes really lost his way sometime in the season. He just stopped being engaged in the offense. I don't think he particularly likes his role, and I think he's looking forward to changing teams in the offseason because his role in the Warriors' offense is space out, stand baseline, Make open threes. You know, when the play breaks down, cut to the hoop. We'll find you for dunks. Yeah. You know? Occasionally put it up just, a crazy dunk and have everybody wondering, where's this guy been? Yeah, he wants to have the ball. He wants to post up. He wants to, to take off-balance shots from mid-range. He just doesn't have the Warriors' style of game anymore, and he just doesn't seem to want to be engaged in the offense because I, I watched them try. Down the stretch run at the end of the season, I watched them try to get him involved and make an effort, and it just never really materialized. And once the playoffs start, you can't do that. You can't make an effort to get a guy engaged. He is either engaged or he's not. And right now, he can be a serviceable defender and three-maker off the bench, but I don't really see any reason for him to be starting against Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, if it worked last time, you know, LeBron is still there, so someone's going to have to cover him. So it definitely makes well, sense Liv- to have Iguodala Liv- play the whole Liv- game. Or not play Livingston's the whole game, start. A, Livingston's a more productive offensive player than Barnes has been. Livingston's um, been really bad recently. He has been really bad the last couple of weeks, but I think it's his reduction in minutes, and they haven't really let him play his iso ball. And the Thunder were so long, and that's what Livingston does. He takes advantage of smaller guards that get put on him. But there really were no undersized players on OKC. They were all they were all arms and legs. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Every time a Warriors player went into the paint, it was like going into the trees. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So, I think Livingston will have a little bit better time with Cleveland than he did against the Thunder. Yeah. And how great would it be to beat LeBron again? It would be so great. Full strength. It would be so great. <laughs> you know, I know we've already coronated Curry, but this would be. The, the vanquishing of the entire NBA. You know, I don't know. You, you watch Game of Zones, right? Uh, I haven't watched this season. 
Okay, there's only I think they only made a Kobe one this season, but you know the the, the White Walkers have been vanquished. The Spurs <laughs> are gone. You know those pesky boozing Clippers are gone. Uh, the upstart young Portland Trailblazers are gone. And to see LeBron go out, it's like there goes the Mad King. <laughs> but they've already beaten LeBron. Uh, yeah, but at, with all his henchmen, you know, yeah. they beat him before when Matthew Dellavedova was at various points <laughs> the second best player on that team. And maybe the Cavs don't have a perfect roster construction for what they have, but they do have three guys who have made multiple all-star games. They have a point guard who's won a three-point contest. They have a four-time MVP and a Kevin Love who was once considered a top ten player in the game who's still a relatively young player. So, you know, they're at their full strength. You know, there's no more excuses. And I don't want to hear Doc Rivers. I don't want to hear Greg Popovich. I don't want to hear anyone say that the Warriors got lucky this season because one thing they didn't do is get lucky. Curry got hurt twice. You know, everyone yeah. else they played was healthy. So I don't want to hear any bones about they got lucky this time because they absolutely did not get lucky. Hey, no no argument here. I know. And I just want I just want Doc Rivers to call me at home. That's okay. all. Okay. I'll, I'll arrange that. Um, you know who we can ask to, to uh, get Doc Rivers to call you is SeatGeek. Thank you again. <laughs> Thank you again for SeatGeek for uh, sponsoring this podcast. We are going to take our leave after uh, boring the Giants fans out there with Warriors talk or alternatively boring the coach's decision people with Giants talk. Either way, we're glad that you were bored. We're glad that you came. Hey, one point on the Sharks. Okay. That series is not over. Cool. That series is not close to over. Go on. Give me another eight words. Martin Jones is great. Pavelski is great. That series is not over. It's coming to San Jose. Okay, so the the Sharks are down two nothing in the se- in the series so far. Uh, two me- overtime losses. Yes. So if this were the regular season, the, the Sharks would have gotten points anyway. Yeah, that's, they that's got how two much points. I know about hockey. <laughs> they got two points right now. Uh, All right. So. Speaking of which, I currently live with somebody who is rooting against the against the Sharks, uh, if you can believe it, uh, a Ducks fan. But what's nice is that she was also rooting against the former Supersonics. So that was nice to nice to have her on our side for that. Okay, fair enough. Well, well, props to her. Props to SeatGeek, our sponsor, obviously. And thank you guys for listening to both shows. Uh, next week, we're going to kick it back to separate shows. We've just been going through a few changes. You'll notice no call sign to KSCO. This time, I have left my terrestrial radio station to go full podcast with Joaquin and Danny. So we'll have both shows back next week in separate feeds. But for now, you can find them both in iTunes, Coach's Decision, and Giants Pod. Danny, any last thoughts? Go Giants, go Sharks, go Warriors. Uh... I don't know what the Niners doing these days. Should we leave leave the A's out? I I think the A's left themselves out. At least we're not miserable failures. Thank you and good night. Go Giants. Go Giants.